0: Welcome to the Co-Mission Podcast. Today we're going to hear from Jason O'Shea. Jason is a missionary for London City Mission in Lewisham. He and his wife Tao run Operation Forgiveness, an outreach program for school children that looks to tackle the knife crime epidemic in London. Before we hear from Jason, we're going to hear from Tao and her mum Sarah. Tao's younger brother was stabbed to death at age 15, and since then she and her mum Sarah have gone into prisons sharing their story looking at the ripple effects of crime and forgiveness. And along with Jason, they go into schools to deliver a knife crime and forgiveness course. We're going to hear now the story about Teo's brother and just a heads up about this week's podcast. It's important and it's a tough lesson.
1: Um, I'm going to tell you about my son, my youngest son, um, Zach. As you've seen him there, he's no more with us now. In July, July 1st, 2010, he was chosen to go and represent the school um, at a conference against youth violence. So he went and he spoke there. The professionals, the lawyers, um, doctors, the lawyers, social workers, the police were there. Many people were there. And after the conference, we got to text messages from school saying we should congratulate him because he spoke very well at the conference and um after the school that day he called me we've been trying to send him to america the plan is for this the year to finish and he'll go and he said mom i want you to book my ticket. i will talk to you when i get when i get home today and um he said um yeah i know what i want to do you can book my ticket. And when he got home, he got home and we were in my room. I think we were there until about 11.30, we were talking, we were sitting on my bed. He said, I want to go to America for a year, according to my performance today at the conference. The school promised to give me a job to work with the young people when I'm doing my high levels. He said, yeah, he knows the college he wants to go to. He said, I, I want to go to a 6 form college. I don't just want to go to college. So I said, okay, we, we were there and we spoke. He, gave, he, told, he told me anything. He was full of hope. He was happy. And um, he said, our mom, at the end, he said, I want to, can I sleep on your bed, please? Your bed is more comfortable than mine. I said, okay, sleep there. I slept on the sofa bed. And in the morning, he woke up, he went to have a shower, so I went back to bed, to the bed. And then he came, he peeped in to the room, and I saw him wearing the boxer shorts he was wearing the day before. I said, why are you wearing that? You just had a shower. I said, there is a boxer shorts in the drawers for you. He said, save, save mom. He went there, he picked it up, and he put it on. And he went to school as he, as he was, um, Coming his hair he has, was fully changed in his school uniform. I came off the bed, I grabbed him from the back, I gave him a hug and I kissed him. He said, Mom, what's that for? I said, for yesterday, well done. We had, a phone, we had phone calls to congratulate you on your performance yesterday. I uh, said, okay, I'll oh, thank you, Mom. And he dressed up and he went to school. I think he, he left about eight o'clock to get to school for 8.30. At uh, nine, after nine, the house phone rang. It was a teacher, and she said I should sit down. And I said, why? She said, Have I got anyone at home with me. I said, what happened? What's the, he said, she said, there's been an incident in the school. She says, Zach is being stabbed. And I screamed. And my, my youngest daughter just came back from uni, She was upstairs in her room. She heard me scream, she ran downstairs. She said, "Um, why are you screaming? And I just said, I was told Zach has been stabbed. So we ran out of the house. I couldn't tell you how I got to the school. Well, we got to the school that day. We got there, the scene we, we were faced with was really bad. The, 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 the road has been cold off. There were police vans everywhere, there were police officers everywhere. And um, as I moved towards the school, I saw the, uh, the children crying outside the school. And they pointed to the police officer, that, that's Zach's mom. So he came to meet us and he, I said, where's my son? I want to see him. He said, I can't see him now. He put me, he put, me, um, put us in the van, and he drove us to the hospital. When we got to the hospital, we were put in a little room, but I couldn't stay, I couldn't sit. I said, I want to see my son. And uh, she went, she came back. She said, um, I'll let you go and see him now, because he's been out for 45 minutes in case he comes around, he's, he might be in a vegetative state. And I said, okay, I want to see him. So she took us to where he was being treated. And when we got there, we couldn't see him because his chest was wide open. We can, it was covering his face. We can see the ribs and, and they, were, they were holding his heart, they're still pumping it. And I said, where's my son? and did not say, that is Zach. And my daughter said, no, that's not my brother. I just passed out on the floor. And I was put on a stretcher next to him. And um, in about three five minutes after, he was pronounced dead, the time was cold.
2: And I remember that day, um, the 2nd of July. It was a really hot day, um, similar to this day and it was one of those days where like I just felt full of hope like nothing bad could happen on a day like that the sun was shining, I was looking forward to the weekend and um, dropped my kids at school and then I got to work, made myself a cup of tea and I got ready to sit down at my desk and and work and um, my phone went off and it was my sister and she said that my little brother had been stabbed and like, when I think back I don't know why I thought this but I just thought that maybe he'd been stabbed in the leg or something which is bad enough as it is but maybe he was sitting in the ambulance and he was scared and I know my little brother didn't like pain and so I, my first thought was let me call him just to talk to him and tell him I'm gonna be there, everything's gonna be all right. So I I rang his phone and it just rang. He didn't pick it up. And I remember at that moment it felt like ice in my heart because then I started to panic. And I rang his phone again and he didn't answer. So I told them I needed to leave work. And the journey to try and get to the hospital was, was unbelievable. There were no cabs, so I couldn't get a cab and I got on a bus and I got on the, it was the wrong bus. And I remember sitting on this bus and I got a phone call from my little sister and she said that my brother had been um, unconscious for about 45 minutes and that there was a slim chance that he would su- survive and I hadn't really considered that fully in my head until that moment and so I remember sitting on the bus and I was just crying and I was begging God and I was saying please if you if you save my brother I would take this Christian life seriously like I will fully give my life to you because I was just attending church and I hadn't fully given my life to Christ and please save my brother and I'll do anything please and I just remember saying that and sitting there crying on the bus and I met my sister in Stockwell and she was driving so we made our way to the hospital and. I got a phone call from my little sister, her number came up and I I answered the phone and all I heard was this sound that didn't sound human and then a voice that said, he's dead. And it felt like someone had punched me in my stomach and I I bent over because the pain felt physical and I told my sister and she was just crying, she couldn't really drive straight and we were trying to get to the hospital taking roads, we knew the way, we know the way to the hospital really well, but we, we just couldn't, we, we got lost, we just didn't know what we were doing. And, and I remember sitting in the car thinking, if I get to the hospital, then it's all going to be cleared up. My brother's not going to be dead because that can't be possible. Um, everything's going to be fine. So I, I ran into the hospital and, and I saw my mum's face and I knew my little brother was gone. And the ripple effects of his death just went on and on and on. Um, Zach was 15 and he had left um, home, like my mum said, about eight o'clock and got to school, got to school a bit early. So him and a friend decided to go to the shop um, across the road and um, five boys who were in a stolen car um, came out of the car and chased them and they um, chased his brother, um, his friend, sorry, um, into right before the school gates and they stabbed him, one of them stabbed him in the arm and the rest chased my brother and they chased him into um, a cul-de-sac and um, they cornered him in the back garden of an elderly couple's home and they stabbed him four times, once in the net once in the buttock and twice in the heart. Um, and he never regained consciousness and he died at the hospital. Um, the effect on our family was... Um, severe, um, basically. Um, Zach was the youngest of eight children. So all of us, his siblings, were we battled with um, guilt and we still do um, in many respects just that feeling of that's your little brother, you're there to protect him and we weren't there. Um, and so often we replay um, what happened and change the scene and, and imagine that we could have been there to save him but we weren't. Um, my mum got very sick from it, lost a lot of weight, dealt with a lot of like, high blood pressure and, my sister, one of my elder sisters, was um, pregnant at the time. She was eight months pregnant. And um, when it came to a few weeks later, she gave birth in the same hospital that um, we left my brother in. And her daughter, my niece, was stillborn because of the stress of losing her, her brother. Um, we had a... Um, so my children, I had two children at the time um, and my son um, would wet himself every um, Friday and when he was spoken to um, about it, he said that um, he was scared that the boys would come for him because my brother died on a Friday. He thought that they would come and they would hurt him so he wouldn't go to the toilet on a Friday. Um, There was a trial and five boys were convicted. Um, And I remember us sitting in, we had to sit in the public gallery and listen to um, information about what happened to my brother sitting among the family members of the boys who'd taken my brother's life. And that was really, really difficult. Um, Yeah.
1: We are able to tell this story. Right? It is really painful, and I'm not going to lie that. It's, it's easy, but the Lord has made it easy, made it possible for us to be able to sit and talk about it. Before my son died, after my husband passed away, we all went to church and we, we got saved. And that's the reason why I'm I'm able to come here and, you know, talk about this, like this. And the reason is I got saved and I want the Lord to use this to save others, to save many more people. And um, when we're in court, as Tyle said, we're in court and I was in the well of court with two of my other children and the rest are obsessed. In the public gallery, the young people—five of them—they were, they were laughing, they were waving to their friends in the dark, and they were, they were just kissing their teeth. Here I was with my seeing my son's bloody shirt, his trousers, the knife that was, and, and to tell you the truth, I couldn't hit them. I couldn't hit these boys, and I struggled. Even they come to the witness box, they come in front of us. I couldn't hit them, even the police said they thought maybe I'll reach out to grab them or something like that. But I couldn't find that in me to, do, to hit them, and I struggled with that, and um, I keep praying. It, was the, it lasted six weeks. It started to, for two weeks, and they stopped, they found more evidence and we, we go back, and it was six weeks after. And I couldn't hit these boys and I prayed about it. Every time I come, I prayed about it. But my children can see that I don't hit them, I can't say bad things about them. And I struggled. And um, for me, then I realized that uh, my faith is is making this, the Lord is going, have to you have to, this is, this is something you have to deal with, the Lord. Because I can't I can see how I, I struggle, but I knew I have to forgive them. But I'm thinking, how can I forgive these boys? But well, still I couldn't hate them, I prayed so much about it. But I come to realize that Jesus is my Lord, at that time, I must have been saved for a reason. And Zach was saved as well. He got baptized with me. And um, I thought, I'm going to forgive these young people. Um, I prayed about it, and I knew the Lord. Jesus died for my sin, he gave his life for my, for my, for my sin, for the, 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 the rebellion I have, even the one that is to come. He gave his life, he died on the cross. Nobody took his life from him. He, 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 he goes to, to, the, to the cross for me and I knew, he said when he was talking to the Apostle, how to pray that we forgive people as the Lord has forgiven us. We have to do that, it's a command for me. And then I took that and I knew that Forgiving those boys is all I can do, because it is a command. And the fact that I couldn't hate them meant this is the, this is the command, the Lord is, is going to do something with this. And yeah, and in, in court I forgave the boys. I, told, I went home, I told the children, many of them didn't agree with it, but, I, I, the Lord giving me that strength. I know I couldn't have done it by myself, but that is, what, that is how I felt. Yes. So I, I forgive the boys.
2: Um, and my story was very different because I remember being at court and seeing those boys and feeling nothing but hate towards them. Like, nothing but hate for taking my brother away from me, taking him away from the family, um, despite hearing you know, different things about their background, which was something that um, caused my mum to be sympathetic towards them, or maybe, sympathy is not the right word, but to kind of have a, a deeper understanding about why they would grow up how they grew up. I, I, I didn't care, I didn't care, all I knew, was that they killed my brother and the way they killed my brother as well was, I I hated them. And um, I had been saved after my brother died. Um, Seeing what the church did for my family during that time, um, that was a a huge, played a huge part in me choosing to give my life to Christ. They were there like 24 seven, you know, cooking, um, they helped at the funeral, they would pray with my family, they would, um, our pastor came to the press conference with us, just such support and I, it just made me question like the love they're showing, like why, why are they showing such love towards us? And it just seemed like such a selfless love and um, it, yeah, it did play a huge um, part in me giving my life to Christ and just seeing God at work even in the, the police, investigation team that he chose just was just, I just saw him in just so many elements of it. So we were going through such a a tragedy and I could see God moving and my only response was to give my life to Christ. That's the only response I could make. Um, But Despite that, knowing that and knowing that Christians are supposed to forgive, for me that was too big to forgive or how could I forgive someone who killed my little brother? I love my little brother so much and I'm being asked to forgive people who took him away from me. And I think for me the turning point was, or I know the turning point was when my daughter, who was about four or five at the time, she, she hugged me. And the day wasn't significant or the hug wasn't significant in any way except that I realized at that point that I didn't feel anything, that I felt nothing, the love that I usually felt and that warm feeling um, towards my children I didn't feel. And that scared me and God in his graciousness gave me an image in my head that if I continue to hold this unforgiveness, which was what what was making me feel cold and, and my heart felt dark, if I continue to hold this I, and raise my children like this without the love that, that they need, they could one day grow up to pe- be people who take a life. And so I said, no, I can't, I, can't. I, I need to forgive them for my children and I, I didn't want to forgive those, those boys. I didn't want to forgive them um, and I knew I couldn't forgive them and I had to ask God to help me to help me have that desire to forgive them, to help me to forgive them. And I did, prayed and prayed and prayed and it wasn't an instantaneous thing. It was something that over time I realized, like the way I feel towards these boys is, is not how I felt before. So like sitting here today, I can tell you that I've forgiven them and I know I've forgiven them because I want the best for them. I want them to be saved. That's for their, the ultimate best, is for them to be saved. And also I want them to be rehabilitated in prison. I want them to come out and I want them to influence their, their community in a, in a positive way.
0: Jason then spoke about Operation Forgiveness and what parents can do to equip themselves and their children in this current climate,
3: to, to forgive somebody doesn't mean it's okay. And it doesn't mean there's no consequence. I've been a Christian almost 20 years and, and I knew, and I lived a very bad life, I have a very colorful past and I knew that I was forgiven, and I knew the Bible says that God has your sin is blotted out and it's as far as the east is from the west, and it's just God. but I always had this image of it just dissolving and going. But the fact is my sin was not okay, my rebellion is not okay, and there was a consequence, the wages of sin is death. Jesus took on our sin, Jesus paid the penalty, What's come out of this is, because obviously you heard my, my, my wife speaking about um, these, the negative ripples when he, when he died, the amount of people that were affected, obviously you've got the family members, the close people. The first person on the scene was a teacher so who, who held Zach bleeding to death. So you can imagine the impact on that, that guy's life. We, we know that some of the people that work in the, in the, on the case, like from the police force, etc., you know, they, they, they changed their job and stuff. You know, I think, think they were affected so much. So many people were affected in such a bad ways. From his death, these ripples have gone out, these negative ripples. Affecting the police, affecting the ambulance, the doctors, the, the amount of people that this has gone through. And, and, and we don't know all the stories of how people have coped with that trauma and it's, it's not one to think of without Christ. How do you, how do you deal with that? But we, we go into schools now, and we go into schools and we, 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 we tell the story to children um, who shouldn't even know about the word murder. That shouldn't be, that shouldn't be that should be on films. That shouldn't be in their life, but it is. We believe in the Bible, and the Bible says in Matthew 6, um, 14 to 15, Jesus says, for if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Now, I'm sure that most of us in here go to Bible teaching churches, and we will know that is not speaking of our salvation. Because when Jesus died, he he paid. He took on the sin and he paid the, the penalty. He paid the wages of sin. He paid for it all, it's done, finished. He's talking of a, a lifestyle, because it comes straight after the Lord's Prayer, teaching us how to pray. He says for, it starts with the word for, in, in some translations, and it say so. It's a lifestyle, forgiveness is, is a lifestyle, an ongoing lifestyle. And I just want to pause for a second to say, if you, if, you have, if you have unforgiveness in your life, and I'm sure many people in here do, it could be a sibling, it could be a relative, it could be someone you just do not talk to for years, because you carry unforgiveness. It could be at church, Someone sat in your chair, and you're carrying something. From where I come from, we say you're carrying feeling. If you're carrying a feeling, a negative feeling, you need to deal with it, because it's like a pipe, it's blocked, it blocks you up, and you need to forgive. And what excuse do we have to not forgive others? It's a lifestyle. You're driving and someone cuts you up. If you can forgive immediately and move on, that's cool. Many things you can forgive and forget. We ain't never gonna forget, Zach. No, we ain't never gonna forget Zach. Vengeance is mine, says, the Lord. We, do you trust God enough to execute justice when you don't see justice happening? When that person who's done you wrong is carrying on like everything's nice. And we're to forgive them knowing that God will deal with it. We are to trust God. That's how we're to live our lives as Christians. We're to trust God. That's not an easy one, you know. If you're honest with yourself to trust, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. Most of us in there, we want to make sure that person cut me off, that person rude to me, that person pushed me, and I make sure I get them a piece of my mind. I used to be like that when I was driving. I will follow you to your yard, and I will put your house, and I will pull up and I will tell you about your driving. That's how I used to be. 20 years as a Christian, I'm not like that no more. Praise God. Romans 8, 28 says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose, what good can come from Zach not being here? What good can come from his death? God is not a liar. Good must come. Those negative ripples that have gone out and affected so many people that have actually affected you today because you sat and heard mum talk about her baby. Those negative ripples have to be turned into positive ripples, and that is the stand that we are taking, the stand we're taking on the solid rock who is Jesus, because we couldn't do that. Only through Christ are all things possible. Those negative ripples are turned into positive ripples. One of Zach's desires and ambitions in life was to go and work with young people. That was his plan. Go to America, come back, he's going to work with young people to steer them on the right path. His mum and his sister and myself, we do that, we go into schools, we see thousands of children a year. We started in the pupil referral units and secondary school and we quickly realized this is the fertile ground is primary school. Years, 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 um, where I got Six and, five and six, isn't it? Yeah. My, my brain gone tired. Year five and six. So that's 9, 10 and 11-year-olds, and we go in, we play not just with what you saw in the video, but it goes into a recorded video where you get to really connect with Zach. And and the kids don't know, and then it goes into memorial, the penny starts to drop, and they realise he's dead, he's not here anymore. And then mum will sit and tell them the same story you just heard. And my wife will sit and tell them the same story, and people will cry, and it's okay to cry. And I will always tell them it's okay, I have to stop myself crying every time because I know I have to speak, because if I start, I'm not stopping but it's okay, it's okay to be angry, it's okay to be sad, is what we do with those emotions. And we're able to work with the children and we teach the children about the value of life. If we're in a a non-faith school, we use words like this, we as Christians believe. The moment I say we as Christians believe, you can't tell us what we're saying. What we're saying is what we're saying. We as Christians believe that God created us in his image. We use a Bible project video about in his image, brilliant video, teaching about how God created man in his image. And we share the gospel. The gospel is entwined in this story. It's part of this story. No person is ever going to sit there after hearing mum talk about her baby and tell her, you've got to leave the gospel out. You've got to leave your Jesus out because he's part of it so we get by, by virtue we get to go in and share the gospel to thousands of children in primary schools across London and it's, it's been a hard road because we weren't getting into nowhere and we were struggling 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 what should we do we send an email not answering the an email we're gonna we can print flyers we're gonna go and stand outside and give it to the parents because the teachers uh, uh, nothing's happening and then God just opened the door When let's open the door we suddenly from nothing got fully booked fully booked and we, we now have Southwark Council recommending us to all the schools in Southwark. We have um, uh, Brixton Police Liaison Team coming in with us this week, this week come in to watch us, to make sure we're not overzealous with our evangelism kind of thing. You know what I mean? Make sure that we're good and, and they'll be happy. They're then gonna recommend us to all the schools in Lambeth, filling our capacity. Well, I'm a missionary, I work for London City Mission. They've also employed my wife, so my wife is part of them as mission Associate. And, and we are then in a position to train local churches like yourselves, where you have a team, to go into your local schools. What a great way for you to connect with your local schools. Because knife crime is a hot topic. You're all here today because you know it's a hot topic. It's on your hearts. You, you, what can you do? You want to do something. So that's Operation Forgiveness. That's what we do. So the questions are, in five minutes, what can the church do? this is my response, this is our response. Open your hearts, open your doors, and open your wallets. And we're talking about sacrificial giving, not necessarily giving from your excess alone. I don't know if it's slide, I it got to work, let me try it. Yeah, whoa. So Scotland's Violence Reduction Unit, the VRU, was set up to stem the tide of knife crime, which saw Glasgow become Europe's murder capital. If you just watch the media alone, you would think this is young black children in London and that, that's who this affects and that's all it affects. The media is uh, unbelievably biased. I'm going to use really polite words. i unbelievably biased, okay? And you have got an image in your head which is inaccurate. But it's important. Life crime has been documented over 200 years and it's associated with poverty. It's really important to to look into this and and, and grasp this. Scotland had a much worse, they had a much more serious problem than us. And from the formation in 2005, the VRU proposed a fresh approach to tackling this problem, early intervention. Its key message was that gang-related stabbings and slashings were not just a policing issue, but a public health issue. The unit's motto was violence is preventable, Not inevitable. In 2004, 2005, there was 137 homicides in Scotland. In Glasgow, there were 40 cases alone which was double the national average, or the national rate, sorry. By 2016, 2017, the number had more than halved to 62. Last year, this is reduced by a further three to 59. A sharp instrument was the main method of killing for 34, that's 58% of those cases. And all but one of them involved a knife. This homicide figure was the joint lowest number of recorded homicide cases for a single year, for a single 12 month period since 1976. The church is in a position to save lives. We are experts at intervention. Put your hand up if since being a Christian, since meeting Jesus, your life has changed. That's the intervention, man. Saul was on the road to, 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 to Damascus, right? A 150-mile journey. Because of his position as, as, a, as a Jewish leader, he would have rode a donkey. That's how they showed how humble they were. Do you know what I mean? They rode donkeys. 150 miles. That's how zealous he was to stamp out this cancer called Christianity from Judaism. And along his journey, he met Jesus, and Jesus invaded his life and changed the trajectory of his life. It was 12 years later that he really went out on his, started his ministry, reaching out to, to, to Gentiles. But, but, but Jesus can invade lives. He's invaded all of our lives. I don't know how old you was when you got, say, I was 30-something, gangster, proper off the radar. Jesus invaded my life and changed me, and continues to change me. And I've still got lots of changing to do, as we all do. God's love that he's demonstrated to us through Christ was a sacrificial love. And I'm hoping that some of these suggestions I give you will inspire you or at least show you what this love looks like. So the first one is open your hearts because many people will say this is not our problem. This is, this is another community, you know, this is next door's problem, it's not our problem. It doesn't affect our children. I had a youth pastor in Peckham tell me this is not our problem. Our youth don't really have this problem. You're here today, so you know it's your problem. You know that this affects your kids. Zach is your kid. We are family, we're connected. We, the, the spirit of God dwells within us. The blood of Jesus unites us as family. We are closer than 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 what do you call that paternal siblings. We are closer. We are family. This affects you. It affects me, it affects you, it affects us. Open your hearts. Psalm 68 5 says, Father of the fatherless and protector of widows in, is God in his holy habitation. Father of the fatherless. Support parents, especially single parents in your community. Love God, love the things that God loves. God loves people, love people. And do we really need reminded of how much God loves us? We're commanded to love our neighbor and follow Jesus' example of, of going to the least reach. Ezekiel eighteen twenty three. Have I any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the Lord God, and not rather that he should turn from his way and live? Open your hearts. Take on, you've heard mum sit and tell you about her baby. Her baby boy. If he was here with us, you would all know him. He was very, very small in, in, in size, but his personality was enormous. My, my youngest son, Elliot, it reminds me of him. I knew him before I knew the family. And if you see Elliot running around with the biggest curly hair in the world, his, 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 his personality is just like his hair. Full of energy, and that's, 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 that's Zach. You would all know him, no, no question. Open your hearts. The next one is open your doors. And the doors open, allowing traffic in both directions, in and out. Does your church run any youth provisions? Are you in need of ideas? So Battersea, anyone from Battersea Bridge in here? All right, raise your hand up, man, hold it up, yes. So by the they're doing really good things. They've got a lot of initiatives, meeting most people, most needs in the community. So they're engaging with their community. Um, we were invited to come along and speak. So mom and I went and we told you, they, they had about 10 young people and we was able to share with them and, 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 and talk to them. And um, when we prayed, I said, look, if you want Jesus to be king of your life, put your hand up if you want Jesus to be king of your life. Half of them put their hands up, five children, put their hands up. To, they want Jesus to be king of their life. That's beautiful. That's something to be excited about and, and celebrate. So reaching out to people. Opening your doors, allowing them in, starting youth clubs, whatever it may be. And don't be put, like, saying that they're just not coming. Do the thing anyway. Be faithful in it. Or have your door open. I keep hearing about people, oh, no one's coming tonight, so we're not going to run it tonight. Open the thing anyway. Open it anyway. Show God, look, Lord, we're here. We're doing to do this. I started a Bible study in, a, in one Jamaican pub in Peckham and I was doing it for the first year. There was, there was really no one attend. Many times it would be me, one, and my laptop sitting there in the pub. And then the thing grew and grew. But it's persistence and it's being, yes, Lord, I'm, I'm here and I'm doing this. Church, open your doors. Open your doors. If you have, if you have access to a building, open your doors. Doors are two-way. So doors means you can go out. Go out into your community and engage young people maybe organize a game of football or something. Do you know what I'm saying? I remember in Philly, I was in Philly, and the, the outreach there, the guy would, he'd done a basketball tournament, so he booked a venue and everything, and he got vests vest made, and I, and he'd drive around all the projects and that, because I was with him, and he'd go, hey, yo, yo, you play ball, or however they say, and he would, he would get them say, get a team of however many they have in basketball, I don't know, but get a team together, and then come, and, and he had this big tournament. He engaged everybody, everybody. Engage, engage them. And do not use the excuse of fear to not speak to young people. Fear is, is not a mark of Christians. We are not to be fearful. Oh, I don't want to talk to them, they might stab me. That's all. Have you ever heard of that in your life? When we're going to schools. We're not going to make them scared. Statistically, this is not something that is, is just randomly all over the place happening. It's not as bad as it sounds, and it is way worse than it should be. Talk to young people. You, you'll be so surprised, man, if you take a moment and go up and say, yo, how are you guys doing? How are you? What's your, what's your plans? What do you do? I see you around. Do you know what I mean? What, what are you at? Uni, college, what are you doing with yourself? So Mark, you'll know this. Mark, Mark 16, 15 to 16. And he said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. Open your doors, finally open your wallets. Support initiatives are already running and having an impact, like, like Operation Forgiveness. We don't charge schools, we go into schools, so therefore they let us come in. They're like, yeah, come in. We've we got a secondary school booked up, a thousand young people in secondary school. They want us to do all of them. I was only thinking of doing year seven, The guy wants us to go in, and I realized, because we fill their time and they don't have to pay us. So hey, we'll go in and share the gospel all day, that's, that's all good for us. Um, we need a team for that. We need to get people to come in with us. We're looking for volunteers if you're, in, if you're in, anywhere near South London. But support initiatives. London City Mission, um, employing myself, as I said, my wife part-time, so we're able to do this. Um, London City Mission has been 184 years going as, as a, as a um, what do you call that, an umbrella organization that supports churches to do mission work. The idea is to inspire the church to reach out to their local community. Something we're all supposed to do if we all agree on the word of God and it's it's fantastic, and I'm just, I'm honoured, I'm I'm, I'm a missionary working for them, and I asked them, can we do this full time? And they said, yes you can, praise God. So we're doing this full time. So you can support that work, we've got to stand in there, so you can go and talk to them if you want to support. If you want to support Operation Forgiveness directly, please do support Operation Forgiveness, tell them you want this for Operation Forgiveness. Look if there's a a startup in your area, Is is there young people, is there a thing that's starting up in your area that you can support financially? Invest in training in young people. Your church could start a thing like learn a trade group. You've got people in your church with trades, with skills. You could train young people. You could say, look, we're going to be teaching plumbing. Would you like to do a plumbing course? Could you imagine that, equipping them? Because Let me tell you something, the drug dealers are grooming them. Can you just raise your hands if you know about county lines? Okay, so one, two, three, four, literally six people, seven people. So, Guys, you need to know, if you live in London, you need to know what county lines are and what the grooming is. So anyone, put your hands up again please. If you know, just talk to one of these people with their hand up and ask them about county lines. It's so important that, you, that, you, that you're, you're, you're equipped with the knowledge to understand what is happening to our young people. So if drug dealers are able to groom our young people to sell drugs, we're in a position to teach them a trade and to teach them to run their own business. So invest your money. Invest your money into these things. This is a spiritual battle. I know, some time done. This is a spiritual battle, and and please don't don't be deceived into thinking otherwise. Our greatest tool is prayer. How can we pray? I've got prayer points on the the handout. Ephesians 6.12 says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. This is a spiritual battle, and we need to pray. I put some prayer points on the handout, and I'm, I'm hoping they're, they're helpful. Pray for those on the front line, like, like, like Operation Forgiveness. Don't think, if you're in ministry, you, you will have what they call spiritual warfare. It's absolutely not a joke. And it could be, and I tell you, the first place it will start in your marriage. So my wife and I will, you know, I mean, it'll, be, it'll be arms, arms out, so we'll be at each other or whatever. And and, and, and we really, this is this is, we won't wrestle against flesh and blood. Is that true or not? This is spiritual warfare, and it's hardcore. If you're if you if you in ministry and you're you're being effective, in tearing down strongholds and, 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 and bossing up the, the gate of hell, then you're going to get warfare. If everything is lovely and comfortable then you need to recheck everything and say, boy, are we, are we on the right thing here? Because if you're in war, it's gonna be, it's, you know what I'm saying? I don't know if you agree with me or not. It's a spiritual battle. Pray for those on the front line. There's lots of initiatives, really good initiatives that are out there that Christians are doing and, and, and engaging young people. Please pray for them. Pray for your own local youth. Even if you don't know them or see them, where you live, there's young people, right? Is that true? You can't talk to me or Is that true? There's young people, in it. Pray for them. Pray for them. If you don't see them, if you don't live in an estate or something like that, and you know what I mean, you don't really see them, pray for them. There's young people in your area, pray for them. Pray for them regular. Pray that they will come to your church. Pray for gospel opportunities to engage with them. Pray for your government and for decision making. Pray that God will raise up champions of the gospel from local community. It's not about people coming in and saving everybody, it's, it's about people coming in who have some, something that maybe people don't in the community, come in and equip them, equip them to talk to one another. Reach out to families of victims, people that have lost someone. If you live in London, there's gonna be someone in your area that has lost somebody to, to particularly knife crime. There's someone who's lost somebody. Reach out to that family. Because trust me, many other organizations do. Reach out to that family with the love of Jesus. But not only the victims, but the perpetrators. When the boys were sentenced for killing Zach, the families wailed. They, they, they cried, they bawled. Reach out to these families. They have also suffered bereavement. Reach out to them. I don't know if anyone here has had family go to prison, but it's, when my son first went to prison, it's heartbreaking. Reach out to people in your community. If you, if you can't support ministry financially or practically, you can pray. So please keep your hand out and, and, and use those prayer points. Now, I know we're, time-wise we're done, but do we have any, any questions? Has anybody got, any, got a question over here? Have we got some Roman mics? We have, wow, thank you. You don't have to run, you know, you're all right, take time, take time.
4: Uh, thank you very much for this ministry, and thank you for what you've shared, which has uh, um, encouraged us. I'm a survivor of the Rwandan genocide, and I know what it took me to forgive those who killed my family. Only the love of Jesus It was the scripture in Luke twenty-three thirty-four: "Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing." That set me free. Um, I'm now a Church of England minister, and uh, I'm a trauma counselor. I help uh, um, in the resilience of, people, of children exposed to trauma, also families and churches. How can you support children who are exposed to trauma? As you may know, you go to schools, you speak about Zach, and some children, they have nightmares that, you know, affected by that. How can schools, families, and communities help those children? So if you need my support, I'd love to partner, to collaborate with you. Please, let us connect,
3: thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you. So, it's interesting, because there are, there are, the thing is, yeah, it's, it's important. As a missionary, I think I learned quickly is that I'm not a social worker, and I can't, I can't do everything. Um, I also know I'm not good at admin. So my wife was on maternity leave, like everything got double booked and triple booked and everything else. Everybody has a, has a gift and something to do. And it's important that, that we walk in what we have, what we can do. Now there are organizations, my sister works for an organization that works with um, children that have experienced trauma. Um, and and they have a, they're a charity that's set up to do that. And there are charities that are set up to do that. Um, and it's important to get information. So the same, same way, i would give you a, a different example, but if you see someone who's homeless and, and you want to go up and speak to them, Get information, like, like, like you know, wh- wh- how, where can they sleep tonight? What can they do? If you get the practical information to give the person, it can be much more help than pray is good. But give them some practical help. So finding out information in your community, in your area where you are, what? How can we help? Like children that have gone through trauma. It's difficult when we share in schools. We don't know everyone's history. Most, a lot of the children will be crying, um, and 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 we're able to really engage with them on, the, on that on level. But it, you don't know who's gone through what. In this room, we don't know how many people have gone through terrible trauma. You're not gonna look at my mom and say her, think her baby, her son, was murdered. Murder is not a word that we, we should be, it should be in films. It's something we shouldn't be talking about, let alone little children. And it is trauma. So, but we can, we can talk. Is there any, any, any more questions? Anybody got a question? You have another question? All right. And my hearing is really bad, so. Also,
4: um, I'm qualified to teach peace building and atrocity prevention to young people. So this is my organization. I do teach uh, love, tolerance, respect for one another uh, in schools, in many schools all over Europe and America as well, as you know, there are shootings in schools and all that. So I do that. And if you want me to come in your church, in your youth group or wherever, I'd love to do so. I'm partnering with an organization, an institute of peace and dialogue, which is, a, which is whose head, his headquarters is in Switzerland. So I'm on the program director of teaching uh, peace and love and tolerance in schools. So if you know any uh, school or, or church community that may need my, my skills, expertise, I'd love to partner with you.
3: thank you thank you thank you thank you i'm just gonna i'm gonna pray if you do have more questions you want to talk to us personally that's cool oh do you have a question over here sorry sorry go ahead go ahead
0: sorry just a quick question um with grooming could you um help give some signs that maybe we could see are there are there um i don't know really common signs that if we saw amongst young people it's evidence to see of grooming
3: all right, let me, let me touch on it quick. And if you need to go, it's cool, you can, I'm not gonna be offended if you walk out, I know the time's done. Um, so county lines is, is, is involves grooming young people to sell drugs. So when you keep seeing on social media and hearing that a child's gone missing, and it's normally 12, 13, 14, 15, the child's gone missing, and then after a weekend or a week, oh, they've been found and they're back again. Well, that, that's, that, that they've, they've it's county lines. So drug dealers um, target children and they target children from single parent families from poor backgrounds and they use another child in the school to to, um, approach them so the signs to look out for 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 children and to and to tell your friends and people that you're in your church the signs to look out for is is your child all of a sudden got a new pair of trainers has your child got a new phone has your child got things and bringing things home that you have not bought for your child has your child suddenly got money and they're not asking you for nothing is your child not coming home when they're supposed to and going, you know, and, 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 and regularly doing, doing something like that? Be in your child's business, no matter how much they don't like it, be in their business. Because if they're being groomed, they're being groomed, and the whole kind of lines of things, they then go and sell drugs, they're being friendly. I'm going I say this in English, you know? Yeah, they friend them up and, and make them feel really really nice, like you're my best friend. This is what drug dealers do with the children, to get them to go as a mule to carry drugs to the country and then they sell drugs. I'll tell you from experience of a family member who that happened to. So he was, he was rolling with them, feeling nice, and no one could mess with him, he's a big man, hanging around with these drug dealers. And then he went to do county lines and came back traumatized, as they all come back traumatized. And I'll be real with you, they get them to put drugs in their bottom a bigger amount of drugs in their bum, that is traumatic, to go country. And when he's in country, he's now in a house with these, these guys who are addicts, and they tell him, you better go and poo that out, your bum, or I'm going to cut it out of your belly. And they're there thinking, now I've got to try That pressure is, I can't explain it to you of how steep... That is, it's trauma. So the children are going away and then they're coming home and they don't want to talk about it, they don't want to be a snitch because they know their life is at risk. Um, they don't want to tell people what has happened but also it's the most embarrassing thing to have to explain this is what happened and they're going selling drugs. This is county lines, it's child abuse. And I'll be very real with you, if, the, if it was mainly white children, it would be the government and, and the police would have said this is child abuse and we need to do something about it. But they're not. You've heard the statistics of Scotland earlier, and that's really important because Scotland, the face of knife crime was a white face. So their response was early intervention and it worked. Over 50% reduction. London, the the face of knife crime is is more a black face. It's what you'll see from the media. Statistically, it's it's a lie. The people affected by knife crime is is, is white males in their 30s more than anybody else. If you you go and and Google the murder rate. So the media is presenting a whole picture because it has an agenda. But it's important to know, it's important to look past what you see and what you read. But the whole point of this is that, this this is, at some point, at one point I felt, is this only Christian children that are being murdered like this? Two children from our church. Not Bridge Church Peckham, but the churches I've been in. And at one point I'm looking at all these children that are being murdered and I'm thinking, hold on, they're all Christians. They all come from Christian backgrounds. The amount is unbelievable. And it's only, someone showed me that actually, no, it's not all Christians, this boy was Muslim oh okay spiritual warfare and we must take it seriously prayer is so important man I just, I just really implore you to pray so I'm gonna, I'm gonna prayer ready no I'm gonna pray and I'll pray and close alright but if you do have questions come and talk to us if you want to support please support the work we do support by going to London City Mission tell them you want to support Operation Forgiveness or, or the mission in, in general but yeah let's, let's pray Heavenly Father, Lord, you, you, you are king of the universe. You breathed out the stars. You are holy, holy, holy. And we are nothing but dust. But because of Jesus, we, we, we are righteous before you, Lord. And we're able to come into your presence, Lord. It's crazy, but we are. And we thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord, that, that you put on our hearts compassion. You, 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 you love people. And we want to love people with that same love, Lord. I pray that everyone in here today, that they will never forget hearing mum speak about her baby, Lord, and that that would impress on their hearts that they want to do something. They will not arm themselves with information and pray and, 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 and give, not just out of their excess, but give out of their whole self, Lord. Not just financially, Lord, but practically. That they will open their church doors. That they will open their doors for young people to come in and love them. Love them with the love of Jesus. I pray, Lord, that this has been worth it that we've come here and we've shared and that that it would impress on people and that people would want to go and do something. Just thinking about the amount of churches that are represented just in this room right now and the impact that we could have. I pray, Lord, that it's not just lip service and ears, we hear something and then go away and that's it. I hate that. I pray, Lord, that we would respond. And we would respond, Lord, in a way that glorifies you because you alone deserve the glory, Lord. We give you thanks, Lord. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Lord.
0: Our thanks to Jason O'Shea. Jason Roach wrote an article about how the Bridge Battersea are facing serious youth violence on the estates they're in. We've shared it in the podcast notes. This is an issue that's directly affecting our churches and directly affecting the communities across our city. We need to pray. See you next week.